Welcome back, Wildcat Faithful, to the Wildcat Radio Podcast. My name is Ronnie Stoffel, and as always, I'm joined by Mr. Adam Green. Adam, happy season to you, man. We're right around the corner. We made it. Finally, there's a chance to erase the bad taste that was left in, I think, all of our mouths from last football season, I guess last basketball season. Everything. (laughs) If you're an Arizona fan right now, you're pinning your hopes on football, which is rarely a good thing, but... It's week zero, week minus one, whatever it is, it's opening week of Wildcats and there's nothing and maybe tepid, hesitant optimism. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm, I am cautiously optimistic, right? Uh, we, last year, the expectations, well-documented, way, way too high, immediately crushed, right, by BYU. The following week, any glimmer of hope that was still there was absolutely ripped away from us very violently, might I add, by, <laughs> yeah. by Houston. So um, it was, uh, yeah, it you got to figure, I mean, of course it could be worse, right? There's always worse than five and seven, but given the expectations going into last year, man, like it's hard to imagine that this year could be any more disappointing than what was last year. Yeah. And that's, I think one of the big points I know we've talked about before, but last, and it's almost like none of us ever had a chance to be really excited about the team following the first game. And there was so much optimism going into week one. Then you lose a a bad, you didn't play well against BYU and you lose that game. It was close, but can't really say you deserve to win. Will Tate gets hurt. And from that point on, Arizona was playing catch-up on the season. And yeah, they went 5-5 five and five over their last 10 games following the 0-2 start. Great, you were 500. You probably, they probably should have won a couple more games. They probably should have been 7-3 and three over that time. But when you start off 0-2, not only do you put yourself in a really bad spot, but yeah, all the optimism. How many people are saying, well... That's Arizona for you. A little bit of expectations and watch them fall apart. That's what we're so used to. So to have that happen so quickly last year, I think was not necessarily devastating for the season because, of course, Arizona had a chance to still make a bowl game after. But just for the perception and the way people looked and watched that team all season long, it was totally ruined or at least cheapened by what happened with the bad start. Yeah, yeah. Ugh, man. So uh, eyes forward, like as we've said many, many times, I feel like I should – get that on a shirt and wear that as often as I can. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready, right? The guys are already in Hawaii. Um, Saturday, week zero, minus one, Kevin Sumlin, whatever you want to call it, it is here. So we are very How excited. How could it be week minus one? Because that would mean the next week is week zero, right? <laughs> yeah. You don't go from minus one to one. So uh, I have to disagree with Coach Sumlin on that one. Now I'm going to sound really really ignorant here, but but is that like the whole integers thing where you talk about like there's not really zero, it's just like, one, two, three, minus one. I, I don't well, know. Now you're, you don't do math on me. I could do the simple, you know, addition and subtraction, but now you're making it tough. I'm probably going to delete this uh, once, once I'm going back and editing. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, no. So uh, let, let, let's go ahead and uh, jump into some housekeeping items, Adam. There, we got a lot to cover here, as well as our special guest, as promised last week. Um, Adam, of course, Wildcat Radio. Uh, subscribe to the podcast for free through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, etc. Really, any podcast catcher. Be sure to follow the podcast as well on social media. Our Twitter handle at Wildcat Radio AZ on Facebook, Wildcat Radio, and also check out the website WildcatRadioAZ.com. That is the exclusive home of all of our podcasts. These podcasts, written articles, uh, Rob Bowron's beta rank system. Uh, as well as exciting news, the Survivor Pool is coming back this year. Be sure to check out the website for more details on that, as well as checking in on the Twitter handle if you'd like to join. So, um, Adam, let's go ahead and jump into this before we get to our special guest here. Um, uh, yeah, so, right, here we are, Saturday kickoff. The depth chart has been released uh, as far as, you know, I, I'm not really taken back. I, there, there aren't really any surprises here, right? The usual suspects, which you would expect to see, Khalil Tate, J.J. Taylor, um, you know, Cedric Peterson, you know, there was a lot of questions about, you know, what, what, the, what, what the wide receiving core would look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Castile, is he finally going to get released on things? You know, he came in as one of the Rich Rod guys, one of those, you know, shifty, in space dangerous kind of guys that you'd expect to see in the rich rod days stayed here with the change in coaching staff 
And it looks like he was rewarded with that, right? He and Jamari Joner, they are listed as co-starters in the slot. And then, of course, uh, Drew Dixon and Booby Curry, true freshman Booby Curry, are, are listed also as co-starters at the wide receiver position. Um, Adam, you know, as far as the offense is concerned, you know, there, there was a lot of stability, I would say, within the offensive line, uh, and then a lot of returning stability as well, right? Uh, what any, Anything jump out to you as far as the depth chart's concerned with the offense? Not really. I guess, according to reports, the idea that Rhett Rodriguez is the backup quarterback kind of jumped out instead of Grant Gannell, but I also think that's probably useless information. <laughs> Depending on what they would need a backup for, I think they could turn to either one of those guys. But now looking at you know that whoever's starting at receiver, they're going to rotate through those guys until people really emerge and take hold of those jobs. And the offensive line, I don't feel too bad about the guys who are coming in who are replacing what Arizona lost. So offensively, it certainly looks like a good offense mm-hmm. on paper. There's size at receiver, there's speed, the running backs. We They could go probably five deep at running back and be pretty happy with what they have, led by J.J. Taylor. And I think, as all of us know, Khalil Tate really is, if this team's going to be great offensively, they were good offensively last year. I guess they led, I saw Pac-12 Network had the, the step, and Arizona led the conference in yards per game last season. So it wasn't like they had a bad offense last year. They just didn't score as many points as they probably should have. So, Assuming they're at least at that level and probably a little bit better with a healthy Coltate, offensively, this team's going to be plenty fine. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about it, honestly. I mean, especially, you know, uh, the offseason narrative was, you know, you're losing your top four receivers from last year and not a knock to them at all. I mean, they were uh, they, they were very important uh, to U of A, especially to the receiving core itself. Uh, but I, but I, I mean, there is a lot of potential within this receiving core and it's just going to have to. I mean, hopefully it materializes, right? I mean, we're just going to have to see how it plays out. There's really no other option at this point. But as far as, you know, the line's concerned, I feel good about that. Uh, feel good about that. Kevin Sumlin did a great job in the offseason. Kyle Devan did a great job in the offseason uh, recruiting some JUCO guys, Josh Donovan, Peyton Fears. Uh, Peyton Fears is listed as a co-starter, either him or Edgar Barola. Uh, at right tackle uh, and then uh, you know Josh Josh Donovan listed as uh, with, with the second team at left guard so uh, it's good to know that you have college experience uh, you know there if you need it right uh, that that never hurts that never hurts moving on to the defensive side of things there Adam uh you know, it was talked about, you know, uh, friend of the podcast, Michael Lev, uh, AZ Desert Swarm, plenty of coverage all over about how legitimate, uh, how legitimate size now exists uh, up front, right? Especially mm-hmm. on the defensive tackles positions. Uh, Miles Tapuso and Trevin Mason, the Juco guys, uh, both, both check in plus 300 pounds, right? Trevin Mason, uh-huh. 6'5", 3'10". Uh, I just, I love it's seeing those boy. numbers. I love seeing those biometrics. Like, that's exactly what you want to see. Uh, on the defensive ends, of course, Jalen Harris, potentially a big breakout season in store. It remains to be seen. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, JB Brown opposite of him. That, that one jumped out to me, Adam, just because it felt like Justin Belknap entering uh, his senior year, redshirt senior year, um, kind of felt like, you know, yeah, I, he, we, we've seen flashes of him over the years. JB mm-hmm. Brown getting the nod over Justin Belknap. I'm sure we'll see plenty of Belknap throughout the year. Um, how surprised were you with that front seven, the way it unfolded? Not really too surprised because you know how fluid it's going to be. And that's been all the talk is that there's so much depth in the front seven right now where they could rotate. I think people are saying they could do a four-man defensive front. Everybody's like, ooh, look at that. They have at least four defensive linemen, which doesn't sound like an accomplishment. But from watching U of A the last few years, having four good defensive linemen kind of is a big deal. But that's the area where I guess I'd be the most concerned because you lose Derek Bowles, you lose P.J. Johnson, two guys who were – very, they were either decent to very good for you at times last season. You have to replace them in their production. So to see what they have though with this four-man front list of starters, and yeah, Jalen Harris over Justin Belknap, JB Brown at the other end, they're going to rotate through these guys, and you know you need depth. So when they say that there's not much of a drop between like the first and the second group guys and the third group guys, you hope that it's not because they're all just painfully average. Because, like, oh, there's really not much difference between your starter and your backup. Well, is that because your backup's really good or your starter's very average? You hope it's the former, not the latter. But just looking at this, when you can say a senior, a redshirt senior like Justin Belknap, who has shown flashes at times as the backup, that's got to be seen as a good thing, right? You got Colin Wilborn, who's listed as a backup to J.B. Brown. That's got to be a good thing. So when I look at this, just depth chart-wise, and you know they're going to rotate through 
them throughout the game. And depending on injuries and opponents, they're going to have different guys in their packages. But to have the ability for Marcel Yates to mix and match players, which who knows, maybe he's a better defensive coordinator than any of us have thought he was because the talent hasn't been there. But at the very least, on paper, it looks like there's enough talent to be a very okay to decent defense this season. Yeah, lots of experience even then beyond, you know, that front line, of course, Colin Schooler, Tony Fields, uh, David Coleman, and then Anthony Panda, right? Those two guys, uh, you know, they're limited action, but there's been plenty of chatter about them. Uh, oh, there's experience on that side of the ball, no question. It's very, 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 very exciting. Uh, really no no special teams drama this year, right? Josh Pollock has moved on. Uh, Lucas Haversek is the guy. Uh, Hopefully and, he can keep the job this time. I know he was the guy last year until he wasn't. Yeah, I mean, awesome leg. Got, got plenty of distance, just hopefully the accuracy has tightened up a little bit. Uh, Adam, you know, I guess you know, b- b- before we really move into, I guess, Hawaii and then what to expect here, you know, one thing that needs to be mentioned, of course, is that Khalil Tate, this is Khalil Tate's team, right? This is Khalil Tate's last year in college. All of the hype last year built up. Just hand him the Heisman, quote, air quotes, right? Um, didn't respond. A lot of that it was injury-driven. We've touched on it plenty of times. You know, this year, Adam, what is your expectation uh, for Khalil Tate? And then, and then, of course, too, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, we, we expect... We, you know, we, we expected a 2000 yard runner based off of, you know, in a perfect world, what we saw a couple <laughs> years ago. And, you know, we expect that that very stellar touchdown to interceptions ratio that we saw last year. Um, but but realistic expectations. I mean, what what is a fair expectation of Cleo Tate this year? Uh, I guess first off, if you assume he's healthy, then you're hoping for around probably 60 percent completion percentage with close to a thousand rushing yards and another twenty five hundred through the air. I would think with maybe a combined 35 touchdowns, rushing and passing, like, mm-hmm. the team is like, is he going to be healthy? And that's where you kind of look at it. Like last year, was was his running down because he was injured? Probably partly. Was it down because he wasn't comfortable in the offense and or the offense wasn't exactly tailored to his strength on the ground? Probably some of that too. So if you look at it and say everything's going to be perfect, that he's going to be healthy this season and the offense is going to meld into an idea or a concept that he can run effectively and actually run in, then, then you have high expectations. And the guy that everybody thought was a Heisman Trophy candidate last season would, in theory, be the guy you see now. But certainly, I think when everybody looks at this team, you say they're going to go as far as Khalil Tate takes you. And then that's in part because we haven't seen any of his backups do anything make you say, oh, they could lead Arizona to a bowl game. But just two years ago, Tate was such an electric player. He carried He was arguably the best player in college football for that month. So you have a guy like that on your team. You expect him to be able to lead you again. And you look up and down the rest of the roster. Like we went through the depth chart. This is a pretty decent roster. Certainly seen worse depth charts in yeah. Tucson. Mm-hmm. So if you say you have Khalil Tate being the type of guy who can carry a team, you add him to a roster that's pretty solid all the way around, then you would expect a really good season. So I would say if Tate stays healthy, something like that isn't too much to ask. But at the same time, he's never shown an ability to stay healthy throughout the course of a season. So I think the expectation, the expectations should be very high. He came back for a reason. There was talk about him transferring. I know rumors about that. He came back. All the talk has been good about how he's been receptive to coaching. He's worked on his leadership, this, that, and the other. So if you put it all together, he should have a very good season. I think that's 100% the key, right? If, if he's healthy, it really feels like the sky's the limit, just based off of what we've seen, you know, it's patches here and there. I mean, we obviously know he's a very lethal runner. And uh, passing you know, at times, of course, you know, we've seen what that ceiling can be as well. But, man, if, if he could just stay healthy. And, you know, I mean, flu- fluky things happen. Um, fluky things happen, and then there are also players who are just injury-prone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at this point... You know, it's kind of hard to say exactly because really Khalil Tate in his previous three years, he's been hurt. He's missed time because of injuries. Now, you know, you could argue last year, um, you know, whatever happened in Houston week two with the ankle and you know whatever um, just didn't something didn't uh, fluky fine but maybe there is a little bit of injury prone there it it remains to be seen right at the end of this year i think we'll be able to wrap the whole thing up and say with with 100 certainty right like if he misses more time this year due to injury fluky or not fluky play or not you know or even just a violent collision something 
I think that the jury's out and they'll come back and say, well, you know what? Maybe he was just an injury prone guy, which is fine. Uh, if, but obviously I'm leaning towards, hopefully it is just a fluke, right? Because if it is just a fluky thing and all goes well, we, we have a potentially dynamite situation here that could really take over in a year in the Pac-12 too, where, you know, I, you know, I, I'm not buying into the Oregon stuff right now. I'll say that. And, you know, of course we go up there and they'll probably stomp us. That's <laughs> fine. Like I'm not, that's, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying it at the national level, as far as, as that's concerned, um, there really isn't anybody in the Pac-12 that, that scares me. So this does feel like a decent combination of, you know, Arizona enters as a wild card, a little bit of uh, uh, hampered expectations in a year that, well, I guess not even in a year as if it's a one-off, and in another year where the Pac-12 is maybe not as strong as what we've seen in the past. Does that feel kind yeah. of on base? Where, where do I stand with that? Now, I think it sounds about right. Like I look at Arizona's roster, and obviously I think we both know Arizona's roster better than we know most of the other teams in the Pac-12, but we've watched them enough. We have an idea, and I don't know how many, if we just said every team plays at their absolute best, who Arizona is just talent-wise better than, right? Like if, if Washington plays their best, Arizona loses to Washington. USC, Sanford, Oregon, Utah, if they play at their best, even if Arizona plays their best, Arizona loses that game. Obviously, no one's going to play their best every single game, game in and game out. So Arizona's plenty talented enough to catch a team, like we saw them beat Oregon last year at home. Like if Oregon played bad or didn't play a good game and Arizona plays a good game, then Arizona's talented enough to beat pretty much anyone in the conference, I would say. But just to expect that out of them is tough. But no, I don't think you're wrong to look at the Pac-12 and say, you know what? Yeah, there's five teams from the conference ranked in the top 25 right now, but that's probably not accurate. It shouldn't be the case. Like Utah's really good. Washington will probably be pretty good again. Stanford, eh, Oregon, we'll see. USC, eh. So... I don't think you're wrong, but at this time last year, we were talking about how the schedule lined up favorably for Arizona, too, and we saw what happened. So it's everyone will always say, I know Arizona has their thing. Like, it's up to us. They have in their locker room, which you could say, if you play your best, you should win pretty much every game. And that's probably the case because no one's going to play their best all the time. So if you can somehow be the team that does, you're going to win a lot of football games. But certainly talent-wise, Arizona's probably, if not on par or better than everyone else in the conference, they're not far off. All right, Adam. So let's go ahead and shift over to our special guest. But actually, before we do, let's take a quick break to hear from a few of our sponsors. All right, Adam. So as promised last week, we do have our special guest on the line. You Phoenix listeners may recognize him as host of The Drive. Uh, can be heard weekdays, 4 p.m. to 7 p.m., Fox Sports, 910 Phoenix, Mr. Jody Ayler. Jody, what's up, man? How was your summer? It was good, man. It's, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's not much of a difference other than I don't have anything to talk about. But that is just uh, dadding it up and waiting for the seat to set aside, and then we'll uh, have some football finally. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get back after it, right? I mean, here we are once again. Uh, Jody, last time you joined us, uh, it was about a year ago. However, the circumstances were a little bit different, right? So they spoke with us last we were coming off that devastating 0-2 start. Things were just absolutely in shambles. Uh, the team you know, somewhat rallied. They were able to claw back a couple times to Mount 500. Uh, obviously, we know how the season ended up. They missed the postseason. Looking forward to this week, though, week zero, or if you ask Kevin Sumlin, week minus one. Teams in Hawaii getting ready for kickoff. What are you looking for come Saturday? Well, it's funny you mentioned when we talked last year because you, you're right. Everything at that point was uh, looking very poorly. They were getting beaten soundly by non-Power 5 conference teams. And it just felt like whatever Kevin Sumlin was supposed to bring to the Arizona football program in terms of juice, energy, swagger, talent, whatever you want to call it, we didn't see any payoff. Then an interesting thing happened. They ended up playing decently in Pac-12 play, right? They they had two games decided by one point. Obviously, that last one to ASU was a heartbreaker for everyone involved with the football program. But the narrative this year is so, I think, disproportionate from ASU. I, I keep talking about this on here, but like, had Kevin Sumlin in Arizona just hung on to a double-digit fourth-quarter lead and a massive second-half lead, they both end up with the same record in their first year, Herm Edwards and Kevin Sumlin. This is, they'd be two 6-6 six six teams. But the way it worked out, 
because Herm beat Michigan State, we don't think about them losing to San Diego State. Because Herm beat U of A, we don't think about some of their other Pac-12 losses. But for Kevin Sumlin, I don't think he had a good debut. I'm not trying to sit here and make the case that Kevin Sumlin was better last year than he was. There were some unforgivable sins that were committed last year from the coaching staff that I think everybody, every Arizona fan is going to be on their, their you know, tiptoes watching this year. But I don't, you know, I, I don't think ASU has turned a corner where Herm is suddenly building a dynasty, nor do I think Kevin Sumlin was so bad last year that U of A doesn't have a chance this year. But those narratives have swung so wildly in opposite directions. And again, like, U of A should have beaten Herm, and I know they didn't, so it's, it doesn't really matter. But had they won that game, we're talking about two six and six teams. It's just, it's crazy how the narrative has swung. Yeah, it's actually true because it feels like people in Tempe and the Phoenix area want to build a statue for him already. But you're right. If Arizona holds on to that game, they have the same record. Who knows where they go? And also Arizona's winning, I think, three of their last five or four of their last five games, including the bowl game if they get there. But I'm wondering how much it has to do with the expectations, though, because last season, yeah. obviously, a lot of people thought Herm was going to be a train wreck, and he was average, and people thought Arizona with Kevin Sumlin would be really good, perhaps contend for the Pac-12 South, and they were a little below average. But now, all of a sudden, this season, that's flipped around, and I wonder if you think that the lower expectations for Sumlin in Arizona in year two might be more beneficial for them. It's a good point. It's, a, a, expectations are everything, right? They're, they're sort of flipped a little bit in the narrative where Herm is expected this year to build upon last year. You know, last year, as you mentioned, being average, he won the same number of games that Todd Graham won the year before. Um, now, he's had – I'm not piling on Herm either. Like, I, I, I was dead wrong on Herm Edwards. I was one of those gleefully making fun of the hire. It felt insane at the time. But Herm is, I think, proven one thing, and this is probably why so many people feel differently about him than Kevin Sumlin. Like, he just feels genuinely, authentically connected to the team and the university. And I know that's kind of strange for a guy that previously had really no connection to college football or the state of Arizona in any way, shape, or form, but it really feels like he is a leader and he is all is advertised, a mentor, somebody who cares about kids. And, he, and and I think another area that Hearn clearly proved that he outperformed Kevin Sumlin is he hired a great staff. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Rob Likens is very good as an offensive coordinator. The autonomy he gave him, I know their offense wasn't great last year, but it just seems to work. And Danny Gonzalez may have been the best coaching hire of, of last year of any Pac-12 team and any new coaching staff. I think Danny Gonzalez is spectacular hire. I think if you put Danny Gonzalez on Kevin Sumlin's coaching staff and put Marcel Yates on her, I think we're talking about a significantly different outcome after the first year for both those coaches. So I'm not piling on her at all, but I do think expectations are the key of why we, we perceived last year. And for someone, you know, I, I mentioned that authentic connection. I, I, this is something that I think all of us can relate to that have been Arizona football fans, covered the team. I'm, I'm a U of A alum like both of you are. It, it always feels kind of like the Arizona Cardinals job was like this for a long time. It always feels like people come to Arizona because they think it's like an easy opportunity to, you know, make some money. They John Makovic is an example of this. <laughs> um, obviously, I think I think Rich Rod is not as bad of an example of this, but I, I think Rich Rod really cared, but I think he's somewhat of an example. I think the fears that Kevin Sumlin is that there's, there's, there's more of an opportunist mentality to Arizona football, a stepping stone, a platform, let me rehabilitate mm-hmm. my image, and then they go on to the next bigger thing. Whereas I think with Herm, it's like, no, he's, he's probably only going to ever coach college football at ASU. That might be for one, two, three, four more years, but he's, he's in it. And then he's, probably going to hand that off to Danny Gonzalez unless he gets poached by someone. So I think this year is vitally important for Kevin Sumlin to, I don't know, in some ways prove that he's, he is, he's, he's here, he's in it. And, and I've heard some not so great things about someone, you know, in terms of accessibility and in terms of approachability and, and all of those things that are so vitally important for anyone that's coaching U of A basketball, U of A football is to ingratiate themselves into the community. And I haven't heard great, I'm not, I don't live there anymore, so I don't experience it firsthand, but I've I've heard some not so great things about that that leave me a little concerned. 
That is a bit concerning because obviously, especially in college, right? Like I can totally understand at the professional level, like, hey, you know, Greg Popovich, Bill Belichick, you know, like, come on, this, get, get out of my way on, you know, one word answers, what have you. But in college, it's a completely different game. So I do, that, that, that's a bit concerning. Although I will say, you know, aside from that, it does feel like with a full off season, right? He has just concluded his first full off season, right? Some kind of forget, you know, Kevin Sumlin was hired really late in the game, right? He yeah. didn't have a full off season. So, you know, he was kind of doing this peace patch job of, you know, you, you, you come over here, you come over here and we'll make do. Um, big off season hires, some Juco guys that are plugged in Kyle Devan, offensive line coach, of course, DeMarco Murray running backs coach, you know, both these guys with NFL experience, both these guys with, you know, just the name recognition for, you know, guys about that age, right? The guys are in college. I think that that that's a big deal. Also with the Juco guys, you know, I feel like, and we'll get into that a little bit more too, as, as, as the depth chart for, for the Hawaii game was released. But you know, Jody, I, I guess the, the, the biggest question here with, with an entire off season now under the belt, how, how do you feel about heading into year two with Kevin Sumlin? Let's, let's see what's different. That's what I want to see. I mean, obviously, you know, I mentioned the coaching staff. I think Noah Mazzoni and Marcel Yates are, eh, they're fine. You know, I, and I need to be shown something for Marcel Yates that leads me to believe that he's capable of leading an above-average Pac-12 defense. I need to see something for Noel Mazzoni that he's not stuck in his path, not stuck in his ways, and that's something that's hampered him at many a place other than Arizona. So I'm, I'm not really too optimistic about it. But, I mean, I think for most people, this entire season, if you want to, to oversimplify it, just comes down to, is Khalil taken to be a weapon again? You know, I mean, two years ago, Khalil Tate was something that, none of us had really seen from an Arizona quarterback. You know, mm-hmm. Nick Foles was great. Matt Scott was exciting. B.J. Danker was likable. There was, you know, Jason Johnson, Willie Tui, Tom Anu, Solomon. I mean, all those guys had different qualities that I think we all appreciated about them. But Khalil Tate was just kind of like mind-blowing with his, mm-hmm. his ability to dominate a game offensively. And uh, then last year, we just saw neutered, watered down, you know, not very good Khalil Tate. And there's competing rationale for that it's either you know uh he was just banged up physically and 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 never really recovered from that houston game and they were basically protecting him because he was just gritting it out going out there or there's the the more you know popular consensus that his coaching staff and khalil tate were never on the same page and it was kind of toxic and it was kind of dysfunctional and and uh we know about the transfer rumors of the offseason so i think it's what do you Last year was all about, man, Kevin Sumlin, you know, the, the swag copter and the, the guy that went into the SEC and Texas A&M and at Johnny Manziel and did some impressive things, and it was like felt like a celebrity was taking over. Now it's like, well, okay, cool. Uh, I'm glad you had some previous success, but some things went poorly there as well. What are you actually bringing to the table? And your point about his hiring date is a fair one. I would also point out he had an entire offseason this year and didn't make any significant coaching staff changes to his coordinators. So it's, it, it's like that late hiring date is almost null because he's basically doubled down on the guys he was able to get in that time anyway. So the coaching staff, beyond the coordinators you mentioned, maybe some progress is made there. But um, I just want to see. I'm like, is there any, is there any more substance to this or is what we saw last year a frustrating offense that was not close to what Rich Rodriguez was capable of doing and a defense that just is kind of the same old, same old Arizona defense? Those are good points. And I remember the excitement over the Kevin Sumlin hire because even about this time last year, none of us were saying, well, he was hired in January, so temper those expectations. It's, no, it's Kevin Sumlin. This is, he's at Arizona. He's the guy with Johnny Menzel. What will he do with Khalil Tate? And then, of course, week one, they lose to BYU, and the whole season was just kind of clunky from there. I'm wondering, is it possible to put too much on Saturday's gaming against Hawaii in that if Arizona were to start another season 0-1, it just kind of sets the tone because it certainly seemed like last year losing to BYU. I know the Cats recovered for the most part from that start, from their 0-2 start, but it seemed like all that excitement, all that buzz, all that momentum that was present week one last season was gone 60 minutes of football later, and I don't feel like they can afford to have that happen again this year. Am I wrong with that? No, I don't think you're wrong. I think here's the thing. Um, Arizona football fans are used to this rhythm. A little bit of success, find a reason to get get excited about the team, and then get disappointed. 
And then what happens is the hangover carries in the next year. If the Hawaii game was being played at Arizona Stadium, there'd be 35,000 people in the stands. It would be a very tough environment to generate excitement because people immediately default back into, prove it to me, show me. And, and in this case, I think there's good reason for that. Listen, my hope in my lifetime, you know how like for a long time Cubs fans would be like, I just want to see a World Series one in my lifetime. And there's <laughs> yeah. fan bases. And even for Arizona football fans, some are like, I just want a Rose Bowl in my lifetime. I'm not setting that standard. Here in my lifetime, I want the Arizona football program to rise to a point in its program history where playing a non-Power 5, non-conference school is not an immediate 50-50 coin toss outcome. Like, I know what's going to happen. Like, there's no... 100% certainty in anything, but like Hawaii should not be this game. We're all like, oh man, if they, you know, the travel's tough and it, it's just different and Hawaii's returning all these players. Like, let's get the program to a point where in the past, I was like, oh, Hawaii, that's a nice appetizer. And then Texas Tech is fine. We'll beat them. And then let's see what happens against USC, Oregon, and Washington. But I mean, I, I could go down the list of against New Mexico and Nevada and BYU and, you know, obviously last year Houston. It's just across history with Arizona, some of the most hand-wringing is done for these non-Power 5, non-conference schools. Granted, some of them are quality teams, some of them aren't, but let's get to a point where this isn't a 50-50 coin toss for what should be a a, uh, a relatively easy tune-up for Arizona. <laughs> It's a very, very <laughs> fair point. I mean, I, I, I'm with you too. I was talking to some coworkers about this and it's like, I can't believe that I'm sitting here saying that, you know, we should take care of business. There's a reason they're 11 point favorites on the road, right? I mean, Vegas will even agree with that, but I think last year's disappointment is still just too fresh in everyone's mind. And, and I mean, it all goes back to what you're saying too, Jody, as far as, you know, like, uh, you know, we are Arizona wildcat football fans. You know, we, we are used to this type of clunkiness. We're used to just kind of, uh, uh, not not crazy expectations. We know that we should be disappointed ultimately. So it, it's kind of difficult to change that mentality. But obviously, winning changes that mentality, right? So uh, I, you know, lo- looking at the schedule, the way everything, the way everything's going to shake out. I mean, Hawaii got to be, you have to beat Hawaii, right? I mean, especially with Stanford, yeah. Washington making their way back on to the to the to the schedule this year. Um, Overall, Jody, I mean, what to you would define a a successful season for the Arizona Wildcats? Again, sort of a minimum standard that I think should be expected at some point from Arizona. Here's here's the formula. Uh, two wins in the non-conference minimum and an above 500 record in Pac-12. So if Kevin Summer can get this team to seven wins, I don't care how he gets the five wins in the Pac-12. I don't care if they get the brains beaten in by Stanford and Washington and then they you know, take advantage of what's a, you know, a, a, a relatively, some people make the case that the PAC 12 has depth. I would just argue it's a bunch of mediocrity. I don't see a lot of teams that, that Arizona should be fearful of based on their individual talent. You know what I mean? So to me, seven wins is the minimum threshold. If, if they can get to seven wins, that's a successful year. And I think that's something that uh, Kevin Sumlin and, and the, the program should feel pretty good about, you know, is there an opportunity to win eight games or more? Maybe. Could they win five games this year if they lose to Hawaii or Texas Tech? Probably. But I, I, I sort of set that minimum threshold for seven wins, two out of three non-conference. That's basically you got to beat Hawaii or Texas Tech and then winning five in the non-conference. And I, I just don't think that should be something we ever sort of waver from in terms of what's an acceptable season. And I think for Kevin Sumlin, if he gets to seven wins, it's finally, you know, putting the program in, in the right direction. How sad is that, too, as we're looking at Arizona? This yeah. is a Pac-12 school. They got a senior quarterback, a great stable running back. They're saying seven wins. You know what? And I agree with you, but saying seven wins, that would be enough for me to be happy. But I, I'm with you on that, too. It doesn't seem like I think it's hard to predict them to be any better than that just because of what we saw last season with a lot of the same players. But at the same time, I think, I don't know if you feel the same way, but kind of hedging like, you know what? I could see a world where they maybe win eight games, and if they catch a couple more breaks, maybe nine. Jody, I'm wondering with you, how does Arizona get to that seven wins? How do they get beyond that? Like, what needs to happen in your eyes for them to kind of take that big step forward? 
Well, let me first just say a, a point that you made there. We're all old enough to remember when Arizona went 10 years between a single bowl game appearance, a decade. It was my freshman year at U of A when Brad Brennan goes to the Holiday Bowl against Nebraska, and then it was literally 10 years <laughs> between their next bowl game appearance. And, oh, they and won 12 games seen, my four years there. 12 whole wins. Right. Years I mean, <laughs> we've, we've seen the threshold for getting to a bowl game get lower and lower every year, and yet they went a decade. So that's why seven wins is still, to me, an acceptable threshold because uh, we've, we've experienced just a, a, a complete you know, deprivation of football success at the highest level for so many years. But, um, you know, Rich, uh, Mike Stoops, I think there's some revisionist history, but I think Mike Stoops was actually a better head coach than we probably gave him credit for in some ways and probably just as more of a head coach than we gave him credit for. And I think Rich Rod will probably follow that same path where despite mm-hmm. all the ugliness of how it ended, and I'm not, I still don't know what is true and what's not true when it comes to allegations about impropriety of the coaching staff and sexual harassment. But from a football perspective, I think Rich Rodriguez, in hindsight, was was actually pretty damn good in a lot of ways for Arizona football. But um, in order for them to get to a point more consistently, it, it's pretty obvious, um, in, in my opinion. They this is this is just the nature of the beast in college football these days. Aside from a few exceptions. They've got to produce better talent. They've got to find NFL-caliber players. It's When a U of A player gets drafted above, like, the fifth round, it's it's like New Year's Day. I mean, it's like the yeah. celebration for the program. Like, oh, my God, I can't believe a fourth-round draft pick. I mean, produce consistently, and this is, again, a little bit of an advantage that ASU has. You know, Benjamin's probably going to be a, you know, a first, second, or third-round guy. I'd be shocked to be mm-hmm. a first-rounder, but second or third round guy and they had Nikhil Harry in the first round a year ago they've got Chase Lucas who looks like he's a potential you know first or second day NFL player at some point and uh, where is it this year in Arizona uh, listen uh, one one point I wanted to make about this and I think it's important is like you know Benjamin's getting all this Heisman love good for him he earned it you know I he struggled last year against San Diego State Michigan State and Stanford but he dominated every other opponent Zach Taylor was really, really good for Arizona last year. And I know that the whole season got kind of flushed down the toilet, but I think Zach Taylor was neck-to-neck with Eno Benjamin for most of the year for you know yards gained and, and productivity. So it's not that Arizona's devoid of collegiate talent, but um, I think they've got to get to a point. Recruiting is always a part of this. We just saw B. John Robinson decide to go you know outside the state, of course, from South Point and was not seduced by DeMarco Murray's, you know, pro football reference page and actually decided to go somewhere that's probably the best place for him to be for his career. But uh, they've got to they've find and bring in and develop NFL talent. And Stoops did that in his best years. Rich Rod is, has always been uh, a system guy. He's never been an NFL guy. That's why it sort of flamed out pretty quickly. But Kevin Sumlin, that was sort of the uh, hope we were all promised, is that here's a guy that can go out there and land marquee NFL talent because three or four years ago, Kevin Sumlin was like a hot NFL coaching, head coaching candidate. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's just as simple as that in college football. It's why Clemson is, has gone from a team that most of our lifetimes we wouldn't have thought twice about to suddenly now under Dabo being arguably the model college football franchise. They figured out a way to tap into getting six to eight to 10 to 12 NFL players a year. It's, it's, it's why Washington under Chris Peterson is thriving. It's, you know, why uh, USC has been dominant for so long. So I think that's just the, the ongoing struggle for Arizona is, is talent. For, for college football, it's, it's 100% recruiting. And, and Adam and I have talked multiple times on how it's, how it's really nice to, you know, today sit there and look at the, the, at the Wildcats roster through UAathletics.com and see all these, all, all these Texas locations, right, for where these players came from. And, and it does remind me a lot of those Stoop years. And I think, you know, I mean, overall, Stoop's, Stoop's record obviously wasn't 
really anything to write home about. But as far as the recruiting went, you know, that that was a certain level of recruiting that, yes, translated to the NFL, made noise at the NFL, right? I mean, Rob Gronkowski, Nick Foles, right? I mean, uh, Mike Thomas. Antoine Kaysan, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there, were, there were just countless guys. Rich Rod's style, as you said, too, was not necessarily, you know, NFL material stuff. Put a couple guys out there. Will Parks is the first one that jumps to mind that has found success, you know, coming from the Rich Rod years. But um, I, you know, th- th- this year with Kevin Sumlin, it definitely feels like at least it's trending in the correct direction, you know, as far as all of the recruiting and everything's concerned, you know, pulled, pulled a page from the old Todd Graham playbook as far as, you know, kind of smoothing over maybe some soft spots with some, with some quality, some good yeah. Juco guys, you know, you got to feel good about that just to add some depth to the trench players. Um, Adam, uh, Adam, you know, I, w- we'll talk a little bit more about this too later, Jody, as far as, you know, I think this is probably a good place to wrap this up. I know you're running a little short on time now, but uh, as far as Saturday is concerned, what needs to happen on Saturday for you to feel like that seven and five mark, that regular season mark of seven and five is absolutely attainable? I need to see an offensive system built around Khalil Tate that puts him in a position to maximize his talent that puts the team in a position to maximize their offensive potential to see that the coaching staff is willing to put its ego aside and say, Hey, we might prefer to run a little bit more traditional of a spread offense, but with Khalil Tate, we need to set them free a little bit running the football. I need to see Khalil Tate, you know, uh, take advantage of those opportunities. I need to see Khalil Tate make some throws. You know, there's moments last year where I thought we had, Khalil Tate, you know, uh, with an opportunity to make some throws, plays with his arm, and, and he overthrew dudes or just didn't look good. So, I mean, I, I don't expect the defense to be great this year. I just don't. I think if if, if it's that's probably as good as it's going to be, unless there's some, prize, some surprises on the defensive line. I know they're really high on Jalen Harris, and I know there's been a lot of positive buzz. Colin Schoolers just, you know, in that, you know, Marcus Bell and, and – Scooby Wright mode of just constantly making plays. Um, but I, I would say Spencer Larson comes to mind again of another mm-hmm. guy that made a ton of plays at that position. But I would just say I want the offense. I don't care if it's, you know, 51-50 and they, they eke oh. out a, a win. You just this, – this offense needs to show it has a clue how to maximize of Khalil Tate. With that in mind, too, how do you think Khalil Tate's going to be remembered from his time at U of A? Because I don't know if there's ever been a more polarizing quarterback to come through there, and yet by the time the season is over, people will think, what of Khalil Tate? Um, it's TBD, right? Like, it's entirely dependent on what happens this year. I, it was crazy. I, I, for some reason, I was looking. Oh, it's when, when ACU announced Jake Daniels as their first true freshman starter in program history. I was going back and looking at some performances from young U of A quarterback to new Solomon was a redshirt freshman, but he did start as a redshirt freshman and his numbers were ridiculous. I think it was 28 touchdowns, seven interceptions, you know, 3000 plus passing yards. And you would have, every one of us would have said at that point, after hearing for two years, on new Solomon, four years in high school, four state championships, redshirt freshman, 28 touchdowns, seven interceptions, but I knew Solomon would go down as the single most prolific, successful, best quarterback Arizona football history. like to forget because it's convenient, but Nick Foles was just fine at U of A. He was not a great quarterback. I mean, it was a legitimate QB competition between Matt Scott and Nick Foles. Um, but, so I don't, I, don't, I don't look at Nick Foles. Super Bowl champion now, great dude great part of the ambassador for the program, but like at U of A, when he was playing there, it wasn't like, holy crap, Nick Foles is, is, is an amazing quarterback. So I think, I think the opportunity for Khalil Tate is still to be considered better than your Willie Tui Thomas, your, you know, Anu Solomons, your Scott. I think he still has this, the potential to be thought of as the most talented quarterback that Arizona's possibly ever had. Um, on the other hand, it's also possible that he's viewed as one of the most underachieving that we've seen it. So I, I, I think that's up in the air, but I think the potential is he could still go down as a, you know, because the, the position is so weak historically, go down as one of the greats. A new Solomon, uh, as Adam knows, and, and some of my some of my friends that listen to this, I uh, a new Solomon holds a very 
a special spot in my heart. And it was honestly just a really sad thing to see just how the whole thing came unraveling uh, with his health and just the whole concussion thing. Because, Jody, you are 100% right. And actually, I pulled up his stats here just because from time to time, I like to revisit, not necessarily tease, but what could have been impressive he was as as a freshman, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, 28 to 9, actually, touchdown interceptions ratio through for just shy of 3,800 yards. You know, I've had this conversation many times that, I'm kind of getting off, getting off track here, but yeah, you know, if, if you would have, if you take those stats and then couple them with 2015 when he missed, you know, like three or four games, whatever it was, um, and you extrapolate that over the next two years, uh, he would have finished as one of the, uh, in certain categories, as the most prolific quarterback in Arizona history. Yeah. Um, but 100%, yeah, but 100% to your point, uh, a lot of that has to do with just because there's not a lot of rich history. And to bring this thing full circle, as far as Adam's question is concerned, I mean, I definitely think, you know, if what we saw two years ago with Cleo Tate with his legs, Last year, he's a passer, but, you know, we at least saw flashes, right? Something to feel good about. If he's able to somehow, and, and this is on Noel Mazzoni as well, if they are able to somehow find the perfect pairing for those legs and that arm, uh, it, it could be lethal, and he could definitely go down as one, one of the best ever. So uh, for, for we, Arizona, we that is. Starting Saturday. Starting yep. Saturday. So, all right, Jody. Well, hey, thanks so much for joining us today. For all of our listeners, be sure to follow Jody on Twitter, uh, at Radio Jody, uh, and the host of the Drive can be heard weekdays 4 p.m to 7 p.m fox sports 9 10 phoenix jody uh happy season and we hope to do it again soon thanks fellas appreciate it man all right adam so hey good stuff good stuff from jody right um yeah he you know when we had him on as i said this time last year or just about uh, you know, the, the question was asked, you know, what is there a way for Arizona to salvage that season? Was there a way for Arizona to salvage that season? Uh, I remember him saying, you know, if this team gets to five and seven. That'll be an accomplishment. They should have blown past five and seven, in my opinion. Right. So they should have. So not all was terrible last year. I mean, of course, the, the collapse uh, just, you know, didn't make the postseason. Just a lot of negative vibes surrounding it. But if you look at it holistically, it really wasn't terrible. Fast forwarding then into the spring, strong spring, as I mentioned, with Jody, a full off season now with Kevin Sumlin and staff. Added some key pieces to Marco Murray, Kyle Devan. Added some key Juco pieces as well, which will be tested on, uh, on Saturday. Um, it feels... It, it, it just feels like we are in a much better position. You know, in hindsight, of course, it's easy to say, but, you know, at this point this year, it feels like we're in a much better position than we were at this point last year. Would you agree? I, and that's the thing. It's all hindsight, right? Like certainly the expectations are lower. They're toned down from where they were last season, which Jody said is, a, I think it is a good thing too, because when you're going from last year thinking, this team could contend for the Pac-12 South title with a Heisman Trophy caliber quarterback to now saying, well, and like Jody said, like now nah, seven wins would be good enough. This team on paper is probably better than last year's team. I agree. Just, but I agree. at the same time, there's a lot there's a, that's reliant on certain players stepping up. Like every receiver has to play above what we've seen them do before. You have these Juco guys on the defensive line. They have to play well. So we're saying that right now, but – as it turned out, like you said that last year actually wasn't that bad. No, the receivers were fine. They were good. And their defensive line wasn't that bad last season. So we're expecting not only to have that production replicated, but surpassed this season. If it happens, then seven wins is probably the baseline for where this team should get to. But at the same time, I, I'm not ready. And this is hedging. I think everyone has to hedge with Arizona this season. Yes. There are so many ifs. Like if Khalil State stays, Khalil Tate stays healthy, you know, if he runs the ball more, if the defensive line is better, the defense front is better, if these receivers that we've read and heard so much about are as good as we've heard, like if those all happen, then yeah, this team's in a much better spot than it was last year, even though we didn't realize it at the time. But I think a lot of what we felt going into last season probably wasn't that far off. We watched that team, and again, if they would have finished off the season the way they should. If they would have beat ASU like they should have. They would have beat UCLA, and they win seven games last season. That would have meant going 7-3 and three over your final 10 games after the 0-2 start. Like, mm-hmm. They weren't a bad football team from that point on. They just weren't good enough a couple of times. So when we say like they're so much better than last year, I don't know if last year was really that bad. Just they did just They did enough bad things 
to finish with the record they did. This year's team, even if it's better on paper, if it is, then who knows how good they can be. But they still don't have that margin for error to do the same bad things that last year's team did and be a 7-8-9 win football team. So I think you're right that this team on paper is talented, probably more talented than last year's roster, but we have to see it and we have to see them make use of all that talent, unlike last season. So let's shift our focus now to the actual matchup on Saturday. And Adam, I'm just going to jump right to it. You know, I, I hate to say it, it is the first game of the year, but we know how the rest of the schedule breaks after this. Uh, it shakes out pretty, you know, middle loaded, I would say, not too crazy on the far back end. Uh, you know, Utah at home's tough, and then traveling up to ASU is always a coin flip. For every reason we play, Utah tough at home. So I'm not overly concerned about that. Um, but yeah, there, there's a stretch there where it's the, you know, at USC, at Stanford, uh, Washington at home, you know, like there's there's a pretty tough stretch. Um, just but I think the, every game should concern you. Like Jody said, like we're not at a point where we could say Hawaii is a guaranteed win. Well, so, so certainly every game on that schedule outside of maybe Oregon State, but in NAU, <laughs> but outside of those two games, I don't know which one you could look in to say for sure I'm not worried about. But it's also it depends on how good this team is. If they're if they play to the level that we think they're capable of, then they could be just that good enough to beat all those teams and to not worry so much about Utah or ASU or USC or Colorado, but we have to see it. Yeah. So, and and here's me cutting to the chase then. Is this a must win game for Arizona on Saturday? Sure feels like it, especially because if they lose now, granted, like we saw last year, Arizona lost their first two and still had a chance to go bowling, still should have gone to the postseason, but coming off last season, the way it went, and the last time we saw them, they were choking away that game against ASU. So if they come back with senior Kulote after all these positive things we've read and heard, a healthy team, a deep team, a bigger team, a better team, and you go to Hawaii, who's not a bad football team, but you lose to them, then it, everything's going to be, well, they're no better than last year. Same old Wildcats. Kevin Sumlin and this coaching staff don't know what they're doing. And just all that negative energy comes back, comes rushing back. So... For the season now, they rebounded last year from the bad start, but it certainly feels like if they go to Hawaii and lose, now they won't go, they won't start off 0-2, fortunately. They're going to beat NAU. Yeah, right. But if they go to Hawaii and lose, then why would we think they could beat Texas Tech at home? Mm-hmm. And now you're 1-2 and two in your non-conference with a fairly difficult, in theory, Pac-12 slate. So, yeah, I think if not for their record, of course for their record, but just for perception and feelings-wise, this is a must-win game because if you lose to Hawaii, all the negative feelings return, and I don't know if you can shake them. It's going to be very, very difficult to shake him. Even, even a, uh, I mean, if you want to call it what, what that uh, in 2015, I think we beat NAU like 77-0 or something like that. Even a 77-0, just an absolute whooping uh, two weeks from now would not shake that just terrible start to the season. Uh, my answer to my question is absolutely this is a must-win game. Uh, this is, to your point, not a knock to Hawaii, uh, but Arizona is more talented than Hawaii. I'm sorry. They just are. Uh, they are. You, you know, and, and plain and simple, you should, I know you could travel and the whole, you know, what Jody said, it's crazy that, you know, there, there's these cases being made, uh, you know, like, oh, it's, it's, why should we factor in the travel and it's on the road and four hour time difference, three hour time difference, whatever it is, you know, like, no, 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 plain and simple. Arizona is more talented and they should absolutely take care of business. Frankly, frankly, Adam, like I'm to the point where if it's even like a two touchdown game, like I'm kind of thinking like, uh, well, I mean, yeah, you know, we nah. beat them, but like, yeah, I, I, I want to see just like an absolute take care of business and get back home and get ready for NAU. Oh, that would be ideal, but you'll take anyone you can get it. Yes. Like any, no matter how, it's like the line is 11, right? So it's not like that's not even a two touchdown game. That's what Vegas thinks. And if you can go on the road and get a win, like again, you take any win, no matter how you can get it. That's true. But if you can go on the road against Hawaii, who has a good quarterback, a really good offense, which I guess wasn't as good as Arizona's last year, and their defense is actually worse than Arizona's last season, like you take it, even if it's a one point win, if it's a three point win, if you need a last second field goal from Haversick to win that game, or you're up four and you, they have a fourth and goal from the, two and you keep them out of the end zone like you take that win and be happy because it's kind of like what's i don't know what the nfl stat is where if you start off the season own one your chances of making the playoffs yeah, but right. certainly college football with fewer games and it's a non-conference game and losing to hawaii wouldn't be the end of their season but just it would it would feel that way it would feel it 
But but no matter how you win the game, and yeah, there's ways like Jody said, if Khalil Tate goes out and looks great, and it shows that the offense has blended everything together, and like there's certain ways we'd like to see Arizona win. But as long as they win this game, then you're one and zero. You get to come back. You have the bye week. You prepare for NAU. You're going to be two and zero before hosting Texas Tech, which puts you in a position to be three and zero, which is awesome. Right, so you can't get there without winning this game. So even if it's a field goal, even if it's one point, even if you barely hang on, you'll take it and be happy and go across back across the Pacific and get to Tucson. Because again, like losing to BYU wasn't an awful football team, but you can't lose to them at home for sure. Right. Hawaii's not an awful football team, and losing to them on the road would be. I guess more palatable than losing to BYU at home, uh, but these are games because uh, I think you have to win your home games, especially. I mean, that's I I, I guess it gets, it just gets back to like those are both. It wasn't a must-win game last year with with BYU, but it kind of kind of was. I mean, just with all the hype and everything that was going on, I mean, it was clearly it carried over into the next week. It clearly yeah, and that's did. The- and that's a thing. And what fans think of a team doesn't really impact necessarily how they play on the field unless they're not going to the home games and not cheering. And of course that can have an impact, but yeah. I, I just, you know, as a fan, as people, we talk about them, we watch them, we root for them. Of course, like just the energy was sucked out of that. I, I remember I was at the BYU game and I remember how yeah. pumped everyone was going into that saying, all right, Khalil Tate with this offense, Kevin Sumlin, new era, let's go. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like, 28 to 23 you lost and Tate looked bad and like I was like what the hell was that (laughs) and then you're going to a tough game against Houston on the road with the start time and they can just got you know boat raced and that's not this game but no it's I don't know if you can under like it'd be a really bad loss to Hawaii more so than it'd be a good win Mm -hmm. but if you can look dominant if Tate throws for 240 yards, runs for 120 yards, combining you know, four or five touchdowns. The defense plays well and holds Hawaii to, I guess they have a good offense, we'll say 35 points or something, then you'll feel pretty good. If all the things that we've heard about being improved or being positive this camp come to fruition on Saturday, they'd be like, okay, that, that was real. That's not just camp speak. That's these guys, Jamari Joyner really did pick up receiver, Dixon, Castile, these guys really are that good, and the running backs in the line and all that. But certainly even if not all that happens as long as you get the win you're going to be happy yeah no i that's that 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 is true right there's probably different uh there's varying degrees of how happy i'll be um but the bottom line a a win is what you're after right i mean if you even think back to that 2014 season which you know i hate to say it but it does like there's maybe some feelings some shades of how things are stacking up that could get into that 2014 season that could draw some parallels if you will um but you know that 2014 season uh we went on the road and at it wasn't UTEP. It was UTSA. I don't think it went overtime, and I'm, I probably should have pulled this up, but it was a nail biter, and it came down to the very end. You know, then you come back the next week. Of course, is then the Cal game, right? You kick off conference play. The Cal game does go overtime, and it's just this crazy. No, that one did not go overtime. That was the Hill Mary, wasn't it? Well, anyway, I guess the whole point to that was is you're thinking, you know, everything's nail biting. It's like, man, Cal's not even good. We are on the road, UTSA, and it's like, oh yeah, we're we're nothing. And then after all that, you go up to Eugene and take care of business on a Thursday night against a top five team in Oregon, Marcus Mariota. Uh, things can change quickly, week week. So I guess that is a good point, right? I mean, it's style points would be nice, but the bottom line is you just gotta take care of business and get back home with the win. Yeah. Get back home with a win healthy and you'll learn something like what I say. You can learn as much from a win as a loss or some people say it's always coach speak, but even if you win the game, you'll still have something to improve on. That's fine. But you won. And for Arizona, for like, how do you think those players will feel after this? They're talking optimistic. Of course they are. And they are believing in themselves, but the ones that were here last season, if they go to Hawaii and lose, it's like, here we go again. And, the nice thing is there's no Houston in week two. Like you're going to beat NAU and be one and one. And then we'll see what happens against Texas tech. You could lose to Hawaii and still be two and one non-conference and be in okay shape, mm-hmm. but you want to get the season started off on a good note just for those vibes, because especially for Arizona, now you have two weeks of being one and zero. like you'll have your first one before anyone else does yeah. pretty much. And you have two weeks to be a one and zero football team and prepare for, you don't need two weeks to prepare for NAU. I would hope, but still that's two weeks of feeling okay about yourself about hey you're undefeated so to me like 
Hawaii is a decent football team. They got a good offense. They're going to test Arizona's defense for sure. But talent-wise, Arizona is better. Definitely. And if they both lost, I was saying earlier, if they showed up and everybody played their best, who would Arizona beat? If each of these teams played their best, Arizona's beating Hawaii. Yes. So they have a chance. They're healthy. There's no excuse. You have to go to Hawaii and win this game. But how it happens or by how much it happens, I don't really care. All right, Adam. So to wrap this thing up, it's prediction time. What's going to happen? <laughs> I do think Arizona wins this game. Um, we'll say 42 to 34. Oh, they don't cover. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I will say, I I also believe that they will win. It's really, really, really difficult for me to believe that they're going to lose this game. Despite what happened last year, that was last year, new team. Um, I, I, I just I, I don't see it. I don't see a scenario. I mean, it's honestly going to have to take like some kind of weird injury to happen, and just for the don't say that. Compl- don't do it. Knocking, no. knocking. I'm knocking on wood right now. But don't even say yeah, it. Don't. I take that back. I will edit that piece out. So that'll be. Uh, but yeah, no. They. <laughs> I, I I just can't see it. And honestly, too, like I said, I, I do have a feeling that they are just going to unleash it. Um, I could see. I think it's realistic to see like a 56-28 game. I see something like that. 58, uh, 56-28, 56-35. Uh, I think no matter what, take the over, right? This, there's going to be a <laughs> lot of points in this one. Uh, and it'll be a great test, too, for our secondary, right? Our very seasoned secondary. First game back for Jace Whitaker in quite some time, too. So that'll be a nice boost to the secondary. Uh, much, much, much needed. So, uh, Adam, uh, I guess next time we talk, then this will it'll be recap time. So, uh, I can't believe it's already here. So, um, as mentioned, Survivor Pool is kicking off again. So keep an eye out on that. And of course, once again, thanks so much to to Jody Ayler for joining us on this one. Uh, be sure again to follow him at Jody uh, at Radio Jody, excuse me, and of course our Twitter handle at Wildcat Radio AZ. Uh, Adam, until next time, bear down.